Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. You don't look any different than the last time I saw you. How many times have you made that statement? Or how many times has it been stated to you? You just look the same. You haven't aged a bit. Now, of course, that's not true. But we believe that we can see in someone the same person that we saw maybe even years ago when, when we saw them. You just haven't changed at all. Or maybe we would say, my, you have changed. We always say this of the little ones, my, how you have grown. You've just gotten so big, you're as big as your mommy or your daddy, and on and on we go with our conversation. This ought to be, the positive aspects of these statements ought to be something that we can apply to us as Christian people. My, how we have changed. For we, in fact, are not the same person. And if someone would say to you or me, in terms of our spiritual life, my, you haven't changed at all, I would feel disheartened. I would feel distressed in feeling that someone sees me as an individual who has not progressed, who hasn't improved, who's just the same old sinner that they used to know, And we ought to be able to look at each other and say, my, how you've changed. We have come so so far in our Christian relationship. Well, there are three things that I want to say about this, and it's all contained in the second verse. When the Lord said to be not conformed, but be transformed. Be transformed, referring to change. There are three changes that I believe that ought to take place in the life of a Christian person. The first change is a moral change. As we become Christian and our people join us who are accepting Christ as Lord and Savior, we ought to anticipate and expect in them a moral change, the same as they should expect and anticipate in us. He begins this verse by saying, Be not conformed to this world. Now the word conformed, if you would look in the dictionary, you would discover that the word conformed means assuming an outward expression that does not come from within. If you conform, it's against your will. It's not what you want. It's what has been pressed so hard upon you that you can't avoid making this change. That's conforming. A change is conforming when you don't want to, but you feel the pressures upon you that says you must. Now this always happens. In, uh, in our society. J.B. Phillips translates this verse 
this way, and I like it. He says, do not let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Now think in those terms. Be not conformed to, do not let the world around you squeeze you into its form. Now when you squeeze something, you know that there is a certain amount of resistance that you are feeling that's coming back from that thing. When you squeeze the suitcase shut and jump up and down on it, you know the clothing inside are resisting your effort to close that suitcase. When uh, we squeeze something, we know that there's some pressure coming back from it. That's what the world tries to do to us as Christian people, is to squeeze us into being what the world wants us to be. And Bill, on your job, you know you're going to be squeezed. I know that I'm squeezed, and we all are by society and people around us who think that we ought to be in conformity with what their ideas and their attitudes are. This is true of teenagers, particularly in school, and, and those preteens, who feel the tremendous pressure of their peers upon them. My youngest, no, not my youngest, must be my oldest, the son of my youngest daughter, who was my oldest grandson, used to wear a pony, a pigtail, pigtail, just a few strands of hair right in back. I frowned terribly when I saw that. And his expression to me was, they all do it and I've got to do it to be liked. And I noticed when he came to stay with us a week and went camping, he conformed to my way because he cut it off and told his grandmother that he wanted his grandpa to be proud of him and he was going to cut it off. He was squeezed on one hand by his classmates who are depicting a certain style of hair and he felt squeezed on the other hand by his grandpa that he was going to have to spend the week with on the opposite. So people are, are uh, squeezed on, on every hand. Our hairstyles, our dress styles, even what we eat and certainly what we drink are all dictated to a great degree by the pressures of society. Our morals are, predict are, are uh, uh, thrust upon us this way. Many a person has fallen into sin because of the group they were in and they were not strong enough to withstand the pressure of the group. I suspect that every person who takes the first drink does it not because he wants to drink nearly as much as that he feels obligated to show his manhood or to express her womanhood in being a part of the crowd. And this is a terrible pressure that is placed upon people to, to yield to the standards when they really don't want to live by those standards. Society pushes it. Even our religious beliefs. Yes, it's old-fashioned to go to church. Yes, it's ridiculous. 
Yes, it's something to be laughed at. Yes, the people who go to church are a little off in the top story. They're clinging to something that doesn't exist. And you've heard all of those arguments. Well, listen, if we are a little off in the upper story, if we're a little old-fashioned, if we're all of those things that are long since gone and should be forgotten, I'll remain old-fashioned and I'll remain cast in the head, and we all ought to be the same. We must not be conformed to the, the pressures of society. We must do something else. And that is we must be transformed even in our mode of living and our morality that we live according to the pressures of God, not according to the pressures of society. So a Christian, going back then to the definition, is one who does not assume an outward appearance based upon external pressure. He is one who takes on an external appearance because of something that comes from within and works its way out. Not on the outward pressing inward, but on the inside pressing out. You see, when we became a Christian, the Holy Spirit took up his residence in our heart. It's a little seed planted internally that is desiring to express itself and get out. That's the Christian, and that's the transformation that takes place in a person's life. It's something that happens inwardly and flows outwardly. It's not the pressure outwardly that compresses us into some mold. And there's a difference in the two. All right. Let's go to point number two. A Christian is one who has changed mentally. What does he say? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed, notice, by the renewing of your minds. We all have heard the word and used the word metamorphosis, which is a process of change. That could be described by the little caterpillar that finally comes into a moth. When we look at that little worm and think how ugly and miserable it looks, to realize that one of these days out of that little mass of almost nothingness is going to come one of the most beautiful of God's creations, it's difficult for us to imagine. A change takes place that makes it totally unrecognizable from its origin. That's a metamorphosis. A Christian needs to go and must go through a metamorphosis in which we are in fact changed so much even in our own process of thinking that people will say to us, you're not the same person you were before. You have changed. And some of the testimony, I don't know if all of you have heard it and I'll not relate the person, but some of the testimony that have come from the very mouth of some of our new converts has been to this point, when they have said to me, their friends that they associate with has finally said, you have really changed, haven't you? 
because it has been seen in their lives that they don't live like they once lived. This is what we as Christian people must reflect. We have come out of a, a little cocoon, a little worm, a little nothingness, and we have been made into something by God that is beautiful and is to His glory. If our life does not glorify God, we have not understood the meaning of transformation. Amen. Our life must reflect this change that has taken place, not only in our body, but as well in our mind. When Moses was on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, spent that time with God, when he came back down, his face was aglow. His face was shining. But the scripture says that he knew not that the flesh of his face shone. He didn't know it. But it was seen by others. That is an illustration of the butterfly who does not know that he has changed. He doesn't understand the transformation that took place that moved him from one position to another. But those of us who see him see it and understand it and know that he came out of that little worm and became so beautiful. We cannot see in ourselves the beauty of God but listen Others can see it. We reflect Jesus Christ in our life or we, re we reflect the opposite. And people will know us by the reflection that we have in our life. I do not say that our face will glow with radiance like Moses, but I am saying that it ought certainly to be possible for the people who see us to have no question that we have been transformed. No question. We are not the person we once were. There is something that has taken place. The same thing happened with Stephen. When he was being stoned, the scripture in 6th chapter, uh, chapter of Acts in the 15th verse said, it refers to the people who were looking at him. And they said, looking steadfast, that is looking earnestly, looking long, looking very seriously at Stephen. Looking steadfast on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. There was no doubt in the minds of the people who were seeing him as he was being stoned, that something had taken place, that he had been transformed. He had not conformed, he had been transformed. And that's what you and I need to do. The Holy Spirit should be able to etch into our character the very face of God so that when people see us, they see a reflection of our Savior. That's transformation. All right, thirdly. He has changed motivationally. 
What is your motive for serving Jesus Christ? For doing anything? We ought to be motivated to serve the Lord, but also we ought to have a different motive for doing even the things that we do. As the story is told of the three people who were building a church, someone asked the three what they were doing, One said that he was laying brick. One said that he was building a wall. But one said he was building the temple of God. What was the motive? Even the motive for our going to work ought to be woven into our motive to serve Jesus Christ. I admit that's difficult to do. When I get up tomorrow morning and start on my trek and I'm going to Lewisburg for two days, I'll be back Tuesday night. It's difficult for me to remember that my object tomorrow and Tuesday is to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Regardless of what else I might do. That's my purpose. It's got to be your purpose. Whatever you do tomorrow morning should be designed and you should be motivated to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ in some way. That doesn't mean that we've got to talk about him all the time, and we won't. But as we uh, lay our brick or build our buildings or whatever we might do come tomorrow morning, ought to be motivated by the fact that we are transformed by the power of Jesus Christ into a new creature whose object has changed. That which we do no longer has the same reason for being done. Now look at three things finally. That we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He uses three words, good, acceptable, and perfect. The will of God is good. Now that's difficult to accept. The scripture says all things work together for good to them who love the Lord, to those who are called according to his purpose. I find that very difficult to understand and accept because as I, as I have gone through problems in life, and I've had plenty of them, as many of you have, I find it difficult to think that this thing that I'm involved in, this problem, this sickness that I'm facing with one of my family, this financial loss, this no job, all of these things that people have to go through, that there is good in this. There's a purpose in it. God is working his will even in the midst of my distress. That's hard to take. But you know what I have discovered? Once I have gotten to a vantage point where I can look back upon that time of problem and trouble, I have discovered God in fact did have a purpose in it, and I came out the better, and he was glorified even in the midst of my distress. 
Well, I haven't always found that very clear, but I've seen it enough to believe it. It's difficult to accept it. And when we go through times of distress, there's something in it that's going to bring God glory. But there it is. Can you imagine what Abraham must have thought when he went out there to offer Isaac on that altar? What possibly could God have in store for Abraham or for Isaac or for the whole Hebrew nation by offering of, of Isaac? Nothing good could apparently be seen in it. But out of that episode, we have seen a blessing fall upon all history, and we reap the results of the faithfulness of Abraham. Yes, we do. So the will of God is good, even though we don't comprehend it, and even though we cannot understand it. All things work together for good to those who love the Lord. That's what the scripture says. And if I love the Lord, and I profess that I do, that I must be able to acknowledge that I am transformed into being used of God even in times of distress to bring some honor and glory to Him. And that's tough to accept, but it's there. The second word that he uses is acceptable. God's will is acceptable. Now that's a little difficult to comprehend. It is, he is not saying, yes, I've got enough faith that I can accept God's will. Although that's true. We certainly ought to have enough faith to accept God's will. But what he is saying is, we have made our lives such that his will is acceptable in us. We can receive it like ground that has been prepared for planting. The ground is now acceptable for the seed. It can receive the seed. And this is our life. We have been made acceptable so that we can receive God's will and that which he wants done in us can be accomplished. When Jesus gave us the model prayer and he put the phrase in, Thy will be done, he knew exactly what he was talking about. When lives are acceptable or are prepared to receive the will of God, then we can pray, Lord, your will be done, whatever it might be. We are acceptable now. The Hebrew children went for 40 years in the wilderness before they were acceptable. They could not receive the commands of God until 40 years of distress had taken place. Sometimes we cannot receive the will of God, for his will is not acceptable to us, for our lives are not receptive. When we make our lives so in tune with his will, then we will become receptive and we can pray, Lord, your will be done, whatever it might be.
Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.